Welcome to the Tide Run Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay, joined by my other long-suffering Falcons friend, Scott the Stat Assassin. Scott, tell people what's up. Go Birds. And we are here bemoaning what Scott feels is another interesting draft, uh, especially at the top of the draft. And uh, Scott and I are probably going to yell at each other in a few minutes here about positional value. Um, if you're new to the show, please make sure to like and subscribe. I wrote an article in detail talking about why I think the Falcons did what they just did with the number eight pick. I will rehash some of that here, but there's a whole lot more information on our website. So go check that out on the on the uh, Facebook page or the Twitter page and read that article. It'll give you a lot more background to what we're going to talk about. Scott, we took another offensive player with the top 10. We did not take an edge rusher again. Are you shocked? Uh, no, I'm definitely not shocked. <laughs> it doesn't even doesn't even bother me so much that we didn't take yeah. edge rusher. There wasn't really a clear top 10 caliber guy available at edge. Yeah, same thing happened last year. It happens. You know, if you can't pick somebody who's worthy of that draft pick at a position of need, you know, then you take the best player available. You know, that was supposed to be Jalen Carter. (laughs) And it starts. Let's recap the draft real quickly. Obviously, as all of you are listening know, Falcons took B. John Robinson with the number eight pick, something that I actually predicted on our last podcast. And I actually even said I thought it might come down to him and Jalen Carter. And I still think that Carter is probably the correct pick. But I have a lot uh, more optimism about the Robinson pick than I think most Falcons fans, as most of the people that I've talked to that are Falcons fans do not like this pick, and you yourself included. Uh, the second pick, number 38 overall, second round was Matthew Bergeron. And this was a surprise because there was kind of a logjam of guards there. Guys like Steve Avila and Cody Mock are the ones that a lot of people would have had the Falcons taking. I That's the guys I had them looking at in the second round, and I took a lot of mocks. So Bergeron was a bit of a surprise, not because he was a guard. You knew the Falcons were taking one, but just not the one they expected. And we'll talk about him in a few months in more and more detail. Uh, Zach Harrison, a third round from Ohio State. Uh, Clark Phillips, who is probably, I think, by all accounts, and even people that don't love the Falcons draft, they love this pick, and there's no reason not to. This guy was rated in the top two rounds by most people. I think you had him. His consensus big board value was 65th. And um, some people had first round grade on him. I I can see why you would not take him in the first round, but taking him at one thirteen is a steal. And I think everybody universally agreed with that. Demarco Hellams with the seventh round pick for the Falcons safety out of Alabama. Clark Phillips, I forgot to mention, is out of Utah. And I don't remember if I said it, but Bergeron is out of Syracuse. And then Javon Gwynn, um, an offensive guard out of South Carolina. Yeah. So <laughs> let's go ahead and get right into it, Scott. Why are you not high on the Robinson pick? So I love Bijan Robinson, the player. I don't love Bijan Robinson, the number eight overall pick selection. Just to be clear, they're two very different conversations. If we're having the conversation about how good is Bijan Robinson, he's very, very good. If we're having the conversation about how do I feel about drafting me at eight, very not good. The idea is, you know, positional value. There's a reason you don't pay running backs big time second contracts a lot Amen of times. To that. You know, I'm on board with that. It has been approximately two decades since a team won the Super Bowl with a starting running back that was paid more than $2 million. 
Um, I want to know when the last time an all pro running back won a Super Bowl, because I went back and I've gone back, I think 10 years. And I, I can't imagine how much further back you'd have to go because I stopped at like 10 and it hadn't happened. So. Right. So Rams got close, but yeah. Yeah. It, building around a running back doesn't work as far as winning at the highest level. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't mean it can't make you better. Yeah. Uh, and if, you know, the ownership comes out and says, hey, guys, our goal is to win a wild card game. That's what we're hoping for. That's the dream, baby. But, and this is a, then this is a great pick. But realistically, you have to be a winning team before you can be a championship contender. You, you have to you, you have do. To, you have to get there first. And right now the Falcons are a losing franchise. We'll spend is it six straight losing seasons, five straight losing seasons. So we're a losing franchise. And so I hear you. If your goal is to be a Super Bowl champ, which that is every team's goal. This isn't how teams and, build. And, and what it is is also it's maximizing your chances to be a Super Bowl right. champ, not minimizing your chances to be a Super Bowl champ. I understand that you can have a good winning team, a good well-run franchise, and not win a whole lot of Super Bowls. It's tough. Only one team wins. But you got to be doing things that give you a chance, not things that statistically and historically intentionally exclude you from competing for a Super Bowl. Right? Like, all right, guys, our goal is to pick a running back real high. And we're trying to have the 27th best quarterback. Let's do this. That's not the way you try and build. And I, I think that's a little bit misrepresenting what the Falcons are trying to do. But your point is still valid. Like, and and this I, is the I part. Think, here's, here's the thing, though. I think that might actually be what they're trying to do. I think that may actually be the point. So, for one, Arthur Smith in Tennessee and Atlanta, very good at scheming up or coaching yes, or calling is. whatever yeah. the run yeah. run game very good at getting guys that fit what they want to do and having that work really well always you have you know historical cycles of zigs and zags schematically and body types and all this and one of the things is once everybody spreads out a little bit more it gets a little bit smaller at some point teams are going to start correcting and say yeah. all right we're going to start mashing it again and you know Quarterbacks are stupidly expensive, really expensive, right? <laughs> Look at what Jalen Hurts um, just got, yeah. Uh, and Lamar Jackson just got more than him, yeah. As right. of as of the start of next year, Matthew Stafford and somebody else are tied for the eleventh highest paid quarterback average annual value at forty million apiece. So, the top twelve guys get forty to fifty million a year, and so what somebody. Well, apparently the Falcons are saying is, hey, guys, what if we paid our quarterback $5 million instead of $45 million and spent that other $40 million on offensive line and running back instead and just tried to mash the ball? And, let, and let's spend a lot of money at wide receiver and tight end and not throw it to him. That's a separate conversation. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, So I say all that. It may actually be part of the plan where they're like, hey, a $5 million quarterback is better value than a $30 million quarterback because a $30 million quarterback is how much does Kirk Cousins make? He's got to make more than 30. He's like 33. I think, I think. Yeah. Yeah. A 30 million quarterback might be the 20th best quarterback in the league. That's correct. Cause that's what they like. You're talking about Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, those guys. Yeah. They're like, instead of picking a guy and having the 30th or a $30 million quarterback, who's the 20th best, let's just take the 20th. 27th best quarterback for 5 million. 
That's a much better value. It's not it's not even actually a crazy idea. It might blow up and backfire completely. Yeah. But but it's also not the craziest idea. And it does, if that's the plan, it acknowledges the historical normal outcomes for what you get out of a quarterback. Go look at a lot of number one overall picks at quarterback. No brainer best quarterback out there. You got Baker Mayfields, you got Kyler Murray's, you know, CJ Stroud, who went number mm-hmm. two overall this year. Hey, if he's Kirk Cousins, that's a slightly above average outcome. For yes, him. it is. Uh-huh. That was actually one of my comps so, for him. Yeah. So there is something to be said for recognizing that having a top five quarterback is immensely valuable, mm-hmm. but somewhere in the five to ten range, all the way down to twenty. Not you have good. a big range of quarterback yeah. being expensive and maybe not being enough to really win Super Bowls with anyway. So we went all in on the, all right, if we can't have a, a Hall of Fame quarterback, let's just go running back and guard and then guard again and then another guard and then pick another guard. I do think this time we did pick a correct guard, or at least what we're trying to do. But we'll this get to him time in a second. We picked, yeah, this time we picked a good offensive lineman in the second round. We're we're paying for the Jalen Mayfield nonsense. Exactly. Never Thank a good you. Pick. Yes. Yes. And we're also paying for picking Schaefer over, over Sawyer. Sawyer. That's what that, I was getting to. Yeah. That everybody knew was a terrible decision. Yeah. Hey, wouldn't it be nice to have Sawyer and McGarry and just let them see who fits better at guard and who fits better at tackle on any given day? <laughs> yeah. Could have got that in the sixth round. Yeah. So so that's slightly moving to the the next pick, Bergeron. He's a good player. He's played mostly tackle his last year in college, but I think he had played, you know, uh, interior as well before. He's a good player. He fits the scheme. It's a little frustrating because that pick is very much paying for the sins of previous, obviously dumb decisions. Yeah. And it's also a little bit frustrating because we were picking 44 and we traded the 44th pick and pick 110 to slide up to 38 to pick him. And Cody Mock the North Dakota State guy who's a tackle that's going to play guard. He went 50th. So he would have definitely been available at 44. Um, Osiris Torrance, the top-rated guard on everybody's board in general, he went 59. He's a big physical run blocker. So you could have got – you might have got Bergeron at 44. You could have got Mock or Torrance who – Arguably, could be even better picks. Yeah. But let's just say it's you know splitting the hairs. Who cares? You could have got any of those guys at forty-four. You don't have to trade one ten, and then sort of tying back into the running back thing. You know, Kendra Miller went seventy-one. He could be an All-Pro, no problem. Roshan Johnson, the other Texas guy, he went one fifteen. Could have got him at one ten if you didn't you know set that pick on fire. And then you got, you know, Israel Abanaconda from Pittsburgh. I like him. I'm on. You got Chase Brown from Syracuse. Those guys went in the 140s, 160s. Chris Rodriguez, 193. He's slow, but Dwayne so is... McBride, 222. I like him. Those, that's only picking big physical guys that fit our system. Now, yeah. Here, here's what I'll say in my summary of my article. Essentially, when you're talking about value, and let's take just running back out of the question, we're talking about the value at that pick. Jalen Carter and Bijan Robinson are both good players. I, 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 everybody had them both in the top five for the most part. Um, if you're excluding positional value, um, 
flip a coin. I had Will Anderson one and Carter and Robinson two, three, flip a coin for which one. Um, but I said this, uh, for, to looking at it from a couple of points. One, if you actually have them as equally rated players and you have Carter who has some overblown but minor red flags and Robinson who has a prospect essentially has zero warts and zero red flags, you can see why they would lean towards Robinson just from that pure perspective. Now, from a football perspective, I'm looking at the Falcons' defense tackle room, and they just spent $37 million on it to get Calais Campbell, David Onyemata, and Eddie Goldman. Is that right? Out of retirement. Out of retirement. Yeah, he came back out of retirement. And in addition to Taquan Graham, who was actually good last year before he got hurt, and then Grady Jarrett. Now, you look at that room, so you're already spending $37 million there. And guess what only one of those guys is really good at doing? Guys that get to the quarterback. The only one that does it consistently is Calais Campbell. And so with the biggest thing for the Falcons being pass rush, Jalen Carter, a guy with six career sacks, does not necessarily solve that problem from a football standpoint. I think he actually impacts that a lot because he's a guy – I mean, for starters, defensive tackles, you know, don't – They don't rack up a lot of sack numbers historically. Everybody's obviously a little bit – uh, miscalibrated on what defensive tackle because of Aaron Donald numbers. Yeah. yeah, real quick, let me throw this in there while you're saying that. Um, just so y'all know, and this is in the article, you take like five of the last seven Pro Bowl defensive tackles. I think they have like five, ten sack seasons among all of them, and Aaron Donald had five in a row. So, like, just yeah. to let y'all know how stupidly, insanely good Aaron Donald is, his sack numbers are complete statistical outliers in the entire history of football. And so what Scott Skez is right, like a good defense tackle is getting you seven to nine sacks a year. That's what you can expect. Yeah, and so a lot of times a good defense tackle might be getting you five, five or six or sacks six, a year. Yeah. But but they're also getting double teams, taking yeah. up a lot of attention. They're getting your edge rushers, good matchups. If you got interior guys that are not commanding a lot of attention, then you go look and your guys on the edge are just okay. Yeah. Like, hey, man, guys on the edge that are just okay – they ain't getting it done when people can double team them or game plan around them. Or go watch the 2021 Detroit Lions game where they literally triple team Grady Jarrett. It's it's yeah. actually hilarious. You remember that? Mm-hmm. That's an absolutely hilarious clip. And I do agree with you, Scott. I think my point was just that the Falcons already have taken a few of those guys and Calais Campbell and Grady Jarrett. Right. And and they had done that because they decided to draft Bijan Robinson a month ago, no matter what happened. And that's why that's why all every single mock draft for the last two weeks said the Falcons are either taking Bijan Robinson or they're trading down to take Bijan Robinson. Yeah. Because it was like a you know open secret. Yeah, and I don't think that you're wrong on that. I just think that if Will Anderson's there, they're taking Will Anderson. I really believe that. But obviously we all know that wasn't a realistic scenario. Yeah, maybe maybe they would have. Yeah. But if Bryce Young if Bryce Young's there, do you think they take him? Yeah, they take Bryce Young. I do. I really do think they take Bryce Young. If CJ Stroud is there, you think they take him? Iffy. I don't think they do. Yeah, I, I can't tell you they do. I do think they take Bryce Young. Um, I think they take – I think they trade – I mean, in this super made-up scenario. They take scenario, Bryce Young I mean, and they, they trade back they, up to get Bishon Robinson. <laughs> I was like, they, they, trade, they trade the pick and then, you know, yeah, for a ransom. Uh, I think if Anthony Richardson's there, it's 50-50. We definitely trade the pick. Oh, we're not no, taking – no, we don't take our AR. No, I, no. I think they might. No. I think they would take him over Stroud. If if their goal is to build this monster run game, I think they 
are higher likelihood of taking him than Stroud. Because he's not the best player available at that point. I mean, Anthony Richardson is like the 20th best player in this draft. I mean, ugh. but yeah, we're, we're, we, we digress. Um, yeah. But like, and, and what I'm trying to do is not saying what I would do, but try and explain it from a pure football standpoint. I can see if you say, hey, our biggest need is pass rush. Jalen Carter will affect the pass rush, but he's not going to get his 10 sacks, which is really what we need if we're going to take a defensive player out of that spot, in theory, in theory. Then let's go. I'm just saying he might get your team 10 more sacks. He might add five, but he might get the team 10 more sacks. And well, But the other flip side of it is when you talk about the teams that make the Super Bowl with very mediocre te- league average running backs, they all have elite quarterbacks. And as you very painfully pointed out, we don't. We don't even know if we have a good quarterback. We might. We really just don't know. We don't know what we have because we decided to sit, keep stay with Marcus Moreto for probably three weeks longer than we should have and not get a really good look at Desmond Ritter and not let him play with Cal Pitts at all. So we don't really know what we have, as you pointed out. And the truth is, and I asked you this question, this guy is going to be good. We know that. It's not even a question whether he's going to be good. Oh, he's yeah. healthy. He's going to be good. Um but one of the things I said in the article is with the way that we're trying to build, I think you would agree with this. If he's not Derrick Henry, we're probably going to be firing Arthur Smith in two years. Because any, I mean, we might be firing Arthur Smith in two years, even if he is Derrick well, Henry. Well, what I'm saying is it's a guarantee because you're staking your entire offense on this guy is going to be the engine that drives our offense because we don't have a league quarterback play. Am I wrong in saying that? No, I mean it's not really all him. It's the run game as a whole. Right, he will get right. all of the credit because he's the one with the yard statistic next yeah. to his name. And and obviously, Bijan is a fantastic prospect. I really would I would probably feel comfortable going as far as saying he's the best running back prospect since Adrian Peterson. I tend to go so? back okay. that far. So I you would because so. I know you've heard me say, and I've said this several times. I think he's the best since Gurley, and that's high praise because Gurley's the last running back to be an MVP candidate. Although Derrick Henry not getting MVP votes in a 2000 yard season is stupid. Um, that was, that was for number one team. That was dumb, but oh, I would say, yeah, I think he's the best running back prospect since Adrian Peterson, which is, you know, the last running back to win an MVP. Yeah. It, obviously a phenomenal when people say generational all the time, it's actually generational to me. Generational <laughs> means once every 10 years. That's how I use that in generations football once about every 10 years. And so, like Andrew Luck was probably the best quarterback prospect since Peyton Manning. That's generational. And then since him was Trevor yeah. Lawrence. So that's that to me is generational. Um, but you think he's going to be good. We, we let's say it, we know he's going to be good. And this is kind of where you know normally I side with you on these kind of things. Like I'm usually a positional value person. I preach, 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 don't pay running backs. And I even said, Scott, we're gonna draft Bijan, and then five years from now, we should let him walk and go get overpaid by someone else. That's what should happen. Yeah. And I mean He's the fourth highest paid running back in the NFL. As a, because of the way the rookie scale falls and him getting drafted at eight. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. He's, he's he gets paid more than Chubb already. <laughs> that's stupid. And and that's why and that's why it's so risky. Like people look yeah. at this pick and go, Oh, he's a sure thing as a prospect. Like it's a home run. There's no risk. No, there's risk because running backs get hurt. It, yeah, it's very risky. Running backs get hurt, and you're already paying him like the very, very top-level guys. Mm. Like, he's already getting paid more than Nick Chubb. He's getting paid like Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey. 
it's it's tough to get a whole lot more value than that. Now, what's going to happen is he'll be good, and so people will say, oh, it's a good pick yeah. because he's good. And that's kind of not really actually the point. Like, he better be 2,000 yards and 600 yards receiving good. That's what I'm saying. He's got to be like a 1,800-yard scrimmage guy, scrimmage yard guy, for it to be justifiable. And you have to win. Because if he's yes. Christian McCaffrey in Carolina, Arthur Smith's fired, and you set us back another a whole draft cycle until he clears contract you, you do you do well oh, because we're in the approach of don't pay a quarterback you can afford to pay a running back yeah but as we mentioned historically the don't pay for a good quarterback play pay for good running back play is uh not been the way to go for the last couple of decades at least and truthfully for several years i th- i think until i can't remember who it was mahomes might have been the first like 30 plus million dollar quarterback to win a Super Bowl because I remember Brady was taking those pay cuts and he's kind of an out cuz it's it's now it's not really true cuz Brady yeah. was taking those pay cuts. Peyton Peyton won it when he was really really highly paid okay. in both Indy and in Denver. The Denver Now he it might have been like mid high 20s cuz that was top of the market Yeah, at exactly, that time. exactly. So so the right way to think about it is top of the market not quarterbacks, yeah. raw value. That's fair. Raw okay. number because the raw numbers have exploded, exploded yeah. in recent years because the CBA has brought in TV money and all that stuff. But like, yeah, the top of the market quarterbacks, Mahomes is the only one that's won one. Am I correct in saying that? And Brady, because Brady got paid when he went to Tampa. Yeah, Rodgers yeah. hasn't been to a Super Bowl. Um, Stafford, I, I forgot Stafford. Because Stafford was a high paid quarterback, so that's right. It's becoming more common. But there was like about an eight-year span there because they they're all winning. highly paid now. Yeah, they're all highly paid at now. this point. They're all highly paid. So, <laughs> but I know we we rambled and 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 Scott and I usually we don't disagree very strongly on a whole lot of things. This is probably one of our more stringent disagreements. That and the Tebow discussion, which we'll get to another time. <laughs> but uh, having said that, I think you do see a path for this draft pick to work, even though it's not what you could have done. And part of that's because of some of the other stuff we did in free agency. And later on in the draft, is that fair to say? It it is. I mean, I think the the player will be good. Yeah. I just it's a bad way to run a franchise, and eventually, it's an unconventional way for we'll sure. Pay for it. It's an unconventional way. Yeah, it's an experiment that <laughs> we'll, hasn't we'll be worked nice. out for yeah. many people. It hasn't. It's just true. It yeah. has worked for many people. Yeah. And we, we've got we've got in the last ten year sample size one team that's done this and got to the Super Bowl, and they did it with. And, and the Titans got close. And, and they did it with two quarterbacks that were above average starters that had career years because they had really good coaching and weapons. That's what it was. And and they also did it with serious defense, too, at the same and time. And great pass rushes, and, both teams. And that's right. That's part of where this pick rubs yeah. me the wrong way a little bit more. If we had a proven front seven, if we knew we had a top five defense, then yeah. Yeah. There's not a quarterback worth devoting your whole franchise to. So let's just, we got a good defense. We got a good run game elsewhere. Let's just lean into our strength and put it with that defense and let's go. Like that's, you could make a very good case that that would be the best way to do this. If we knew we had a defense. Yeah. Now maybe we will have a really good defense. That would be nice. I'm not even saying we won't. I'm just saying I ain't seen it. And this adds to the and, riskiness of the pick that you were talking about to begin with. That's why this yes. is why it's risky. And having said that, we haven't actually talked about Robinson as a player. Um, he's a good receiver, like a better than average receiver coming out of college. Go watch his highlights receiving. 
he's like catching wheel routes over people. Like yeah. he's really no, he's, good. Yeah, he's an outstanding receiver for a running back. And it, and Scott and I are trying to explain to y'all, he's not just catching checkdowns, y'all. He's he's running real routes, catching the ball. Now he ain't McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey could have been a first round pick as a slot receiver. He was that good. Uh, this guy is not that. But um, the difference is that what separates him from some of the other really good backs that have come out the last few years. He's got four four long speed. He's 5'11", 215, which is the prototypical running back size. He's got the hands. And what makes him elite is he might have the best feet I've seen since LaDain and Tomlinson at his size. And that is really high praise. I don't want to exaggerate, yeah. but like his feet in the hole are unbelievable. Unbelievable. It, it's the it's the feet and the balance, balance yeah. to go with the other physical measurables, the feet and the balance and catching the ball, yeah, to go with the other measurables that sort of set him apart from some of the other top running backs. Though I say that, you know, Ezekiel Elliott was a top-notch prospect coming out too. You know, a lot of these guys that also had feet and balance and could catch the ball. He's got better long speed. Had good enough size and and good long speed. Yeah, yeah, but he's not so much better long speed than Zeke, you know. Um, so, but yeah, an outstanding, outstanding running back. We will enjoy the next three to five years of him running the ball. And then we'll it's either just, overpay him yeah. or watch him go somewhere else and be very mad about it. Um, Bergeron, the the uh, guard from Syracuse, I was not familiar with him. You immediately texted me. Great. We got a guy whose profile says he's an average pass blocker and a great run blocker. Shocker. And yep. then you went on to rant about why would we even draft receivers, David? We're not going to throw the ball to him. <laughs> so, why are we going to pick a tight end number four and not throw the ball to we him? We threw the ball to him the first year. So, uh, <laughs> But one of the things that stood out to me when I watched just a little bit of him, very, very little, was that the dude can move. I mean, he is explosive <clears> off the ball. Uh, all the assessments I read him, and I went to four or five different ones, and they all said that he is like a high-level run blocker, and they all thought it was going to translate to the NFL. And several of them said that his problem in pass protection is hand placement that he just doesn't get his hands in the right places. And he's got just good, but not great play strength. So he's susceptible to some bull rushes, but that's kind of the profile uh, on him. Didn't he, didn't he have a really good relative athleticism score? RES good, but not great. I think he was in the okay. eights. Maybe um, you might want to, will you look that up while we go? I know he's definitely a plus athlete yeah. for an offensive lineman uh, on paper, as well as on tape. Uh, so he is as an offensive tackle, He's in eight point seven, which is good. Okay, that's good. Out of yeah. out of ten, Bergeron. Uh, if you run him as a guard, he is a nine point eight. Okay, so yeah, this yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, especially so when you consider of, size. Yeah, this is a scale of one to ten or zero to ten. You know, think of it in terms of zero to a hundred as a ninety eight. Yeah, that's he's, where he ranks okay. athletically. So he is very, like you said, very athletic for a guard. In the gym and on the field, yeah. which is always nice to know that it's real. And he will start day one at left guard. I don't think there's even any question. Like they'll say there's competition, but he will be your day one starter at left guard. Uh, but Zach Harrison, I remember watching Zach Harrison, and he's one of those guys that he made plays in college, but I never thought he was as good as he should have been. This guy was like yep. the number one defense prospect in America coming out of high school. And he was good at Ohio State, but he's one of those guys that you always felt should be better. Never felt like he was as good as he should have been at Ohio State. One of the things that dude did, though, is he gets he gets his hands in the ball. Like, when mm-hmm. you watch his highlights, it's tipped passes that lead to interceptions, interceptions, strips. I mean, he gets his hands in the ball. He is really inconsistent off the ball, but when he gets off the ball, he looks really, really good. But he just doesn't get off the ball all the time. 
He's got really good effort and pursuit, but he's not explosive or twitchy. He's like a good athlete, but not a great athlete. I think he's like your classic base defensive end because he's got like – I think he's 270, 280, like 6'5". He is a really big defensive end, almost defensive tackle size, but he moves like a defensive end. And I think he's going to be a rotational base end. But, yeah, this is a guy that is depth. He'll play. He's not going to be a star, but he's the kind of guy that you need in your team. Um, before we move on from Zach Harrison completely, I will say as far as testing stuff goes, he's a pretty good athlete yeah. for the position. The one thing he is, is he's also a very linear athlete. Mm-hmm. He I think he in space he, well. And yeah, and this shows up on, on film as well, mm-hmm. both in how, both in the traits he shows and in sort of how they used him and how he played because it was very atypical. Um, so I'll just start with, I think, let's see, his RAS, Relative Athleticism Score, was an 8.7, Eight, yeah. I think. And it was an 8, okay. Yeah, so almost 9. So it was mm, quite so good. good. He's good. He reminds me of if Lorenzo Carter was 20 pounds heavier. I could see that. And see that. As far as being like linear, not having a lot mm. of bend and wiggle, I think Lorenzo Carter had a little bit more stop and start and some quickness to him. That's also maybe the 20, 25 pounds difference part of it as well. But both long athletic guys and probably a little bit more linear than you'd like, you would like them to have. Some yeah. Bend. He's got like 34 inch long arm. I mean, he's got yeah. super like 34 inch long arms. And, he's and got if you super watched, long arms. And if you watched him play, he's an 11. Yeah. <laughs> if it yeah. stopped at nine, he's an yeah. 11. He plays where that would be. Uh, and, yeah. and for the people that didn't follow all that, that means where a defensive end normally lines up, uh, you know, to rush against a tackle, he's lined up where the slot guy is. The slot. We call that guy. a wide nine, Scott. <laughs> but he's not a wide nine. He's an eleven. I'm telling you, this was uh, drastically exaggerated. Ohio and, State does weird stuff like that. Yeah, and he's long and explosive, and but also kind of a straight line. Which guess what? This is basic high school math. Sorry if that triggers anybody, but when you line out. Line up out wide, out wide. He doesn't have to turn a tight corner. Now he just has to run a straight line through the outside shoulder of the tackle. Yeah. So they actually kind of played him that way, which is sort of interesting and, his, and weird to see. His, his shuttle his, scores are oof, terrible, and everything else is, is good. They're basically. awful. His uh, his agility scores are bad. Now, when he does rush, he's more successful having inside moves. A lot of that because tackles are overset and get mm-hmm. with, and he'll win. And he wins inside. He's got a good inside rush. And, yeah, and he has enough speed and. And power that you can push through the outside half. They have to respect that. Then you, you counter. Any anyway, he's an interesting prospect. He's not a guarantee to be a good player, but he certainly no. could be a good player. And in the third round, you're getting somebody with some upside at an important position. That's that's. Good. I do think he's guaranteed to be a rotational contributor. I thought he's going to be Marlon Davidson. Like I think, yeah, because Marlon Davidson was not very athletic, and he was a tweener. This guy is a true defensive end. He's productive. He's yeah. going to be a rotational player who's got potential to be better than that, but I think that's what he's going to be. At pick number four, and this is probably, I think, both of our favorite picks in the draft. Am I wrong in saying this, Clark Phillips? Definitely the best value. Yeah. Is there a player that you liked better? Because I, I thought like you were, I thought you were pretty high on this pick. Oh no, I, I am as far as the best value for the yeah. pick. I mean, Bijan's still the best player we draft. Well, yeah, he's the best player. But I know yeah, you didn't yeah. love that so, pick because of the value. Yeah. But as um, far as yeah, the value of the pick, the 
Phillips is a guy that should have been you know, a second round pick. Yeah, late second, early third, probably something like that. Getting him in the fourth is really good. I mean, I think it's been mentioned, but he's short and he didn't run super fast. Mm-mm. And that's five, why. Nine. Yeah, and he ran four five. five yeah, which is average and, in the NFL. Yeah, and so that's why, you know, I mean, I get it. It's hard to pick that guy in the second round. Still early third, I'd take him. But, yeah, he's a good football player. And that's that's the goal is to win football games, not underwear Olympics. So, yeah, good pick in the fourth round. 5'9", 184, 4540. He is witchier on film than that 40 time shows. If mm-hmm. you watch this guy driving the ball, like, golly, he can move. And he is a ball hawk. This dude's around the ball all the time. And they played a ton of zone at Utah. And he's really, really good at it. He identifies routes and he jumps up and he makes plays. Um, he, I said this already, but he looks more athletic than his testing numbers. I really do think so. But he really is 5'9". And really the only flaw in him other than his measurables is he's not a great tackler. Um, he just doesn't have great technique in tackling. He's a wrap-up tackler. And he's not particularly big, which doesn't help. Um, I think, and people said this, you see that testing, this testing number is 5'9", 145, and he's your perfect candidate to play slot. And if you play zone schemes, God, he's going to be a nightmare. He's going to have a lot of pickoffs and pass breakups. And then we'll mention the Falcons had two seventh-round picks because we traded away 110. The Falcons didn't want to take seven or eight picks because those players aren't going to make the team. Because we've upgraded our talent, and you saw that in the number of unrestricted free agents we took, or undrafted free agents we took. We took six, I think. The last couple of years, we've signed like 15 to 18 because those guys had a chance to make our team. Mm-hmm. And this year we signed like six to eight. So the last two picks for the Falcons, DeMarco Helms, who is a classic box safety from Alabama, he does one thing really well, and it is knock your head off. He is going to play a lot of special teams. He's going to be very, very good at it. And I think he's actually got a chance to make the team because he will be a very good special teams player. If you want him to do much else, it's a little iffy. Yeah. And he's the kind of guy you take in the seventh round. Mm -hmm. Like this. I agree with that. That's a good seventh round pick. It's a guy who has a very good chance to make the team. It's a guy who could contribute on special teams. And it's a guy that could work his way into playing an actual role. Probably not as a starting safety, but Mm -mm. package guy. Three safety looks are not that uncommon these days, right? Somebody that you go to your three safety looks, a lot of times you want to have a guy that's sort of kind of like a hybrid linebacker, linebacker. type as one of those spots. So it it's a seventh-round pick, so it's probably not going to change the franchise. But, you know, while we're talking about the process and how they're doing things, you know, credit where it's due, that that was probably well done. He's going to be really fun to watch the special teams because at least two or three times this season, you're going to see somebody get walloped. You're going to be like, who is it? Oh, that's Helms. Um, and then we took a guard from South Carolina, Javon Gwynn. Who cares? Another guard that won't play and won't make our roster. He'll probably be a practice squad guy, possibly. Whatever. Okay. I, I have nothing to add. I didn't even watch his film. Um, no, and it's just, it's again, another annoying thing of why did we make some of these really stupid picks at guard in previous years? And my frustration here is I know what you're going to say about us not throwing the ball. Take a wide receiver there. Somebody oh, to run absolutely. back kickoffs, something. Take a wide receiver there. Because the one undrafted free agent that I actually give a crap about, Justin Robinson, is actually going to make our team. But, like, that's – Robinson, why don't you just draft Robinson with that seventh-round pick? He's 6'2", 205. He ran a 4'4", 8 now. He doesn't look that fast on film. 
He's got no movement skills and like his agility times were awful. I think he was like in like the one percentile for his agility scores, but he had crazy good hands. He just can't separate. <laughs> Shoot. Take Matt Landers and just see if it works out. And so, yeah. Where did he go? He went fifth round, sixth round. I think he went undrafted. Did he really? I thought, yep. I thought he got picked up. Um. Anyways, we digress. Uh. Really quickly. I said, Justin Robinson, Justin Marshall. Uh, yeah. Marshall has direct ties to the Falcons staff because his offense coordinator at Louisville was Dwayne Ledford, who's the Falcons offense line coach. And Marshall's the kind of guy that went to Louisville, didn't play very much, didn't do a whole lot, transferred down in competition, and then had like 60 catches and 800 yards and like nine touchdowns. So the drop in competition really helped him and got himself on NFL radars. And I think he's going to make our team. Uh, But one of the things I want to talk about as we wrap up before we get, before we jump over to the dogs in this draft was I've been having a hard time figuring out how to predict what we would draft because I don't really have a good grasp of Ryan Nielsen's scheme. Like Dan Quinn's scheme, you knew exactly what he was looking for at every position. You knew what he liked in defensive linemen, although he apparently couldn't pick them very well. You mm-hmm. knew what he wanted out of linebackers, which he did draft very well. And you knew what he wanted out of corners, which he drafted exceptionally well. Like I could literally look at a guy's arm length and height and tell you whether or not Dan Quinn was going to consider drafting him. It was well, that predictable. Yeah. No, a- absolutely. The There was like a Seahawks fan site that started this a long time ago and they had narrowed it down to the like Dan Quinn draftable corners. And it it's was like, like only guys with, was it 33? 31, it, was, it was 31 inch 31, arms. 31, 31 yeah. was the magic number. Yeah. You had to have 31 inch arms and you had, I mean, you had to be six feet tall. That was the, yeah. And four or five or faster. And, and usually a broad jump was heavily valued okay. in there as well. And so this is a lot harder to predict with Pease and Nielsen. Partially because, as they keep saying, they have multiple schemes. But that's a little bit of BS because if you watch Ryan Nielsen, they're in four down the majority of the time. And when they go nickel, they're in a 4-2-5. They don't really ever play a true 4-3. And one of the ways they get away with it is that they use their safeties and the run fits a lot. So instead of having a box with four down linemen and two linebackers, they'll have a five-man box but they'll creep Tyron Matthew up into the box to be the extra run fitter. And that's how they got away with it. And yeah. so well, the, go ahead. Oh, I'll say in, in general, I'm not knowing he's not really been a defensive coordinator before yeah. he was co-defensive coordinator for one year. And he was another team. Coach. Yeah. So we haven't seen exactly what he wants to do, how he wants to do things, which to your point is why we don't know what they're looking for. It, exactly. We, so, we know what Arthur Smith wants on offense. We do. We do. Big, beefy, big, burly beefy man people. Ball. Yeah. Um, but defense, yeah, no clue. But that's made it hard for me to evaluate and predict because I look at a guy like Zach Harrison. I said, well, based on that, if you're talking that guy, you're playing a four down front with the base defensive end. But then we go and re-sign Lorenzo Carter, and we drafted last year guys like Ebiketti and uh, Malone, who are classic three for us linebackers. But then you re-sign Carter – which tells you that guy is not really a defensive end at this stage of his career. He's a true three for OLB. And I know we're going to be multiple, but in the uh, scheme in, in New Orleans, they didn't use a lot of defensive end outside linebacker hybrids. What they liked instead was inside outside linebacker hybrids. Now the Falcons do have those in Michael Walker and the guy we just brought over from New Orleans, um, Hayden Ellis. So it's just interesting. I will tell you this. We're going to blitz a lot. We're going to play a lot of zone. So let me tell you those two things are going to be the case. I don't really know a whole lot more to tell you. And we'll be better in the back end because Jesse Bates is really good. So Yeah. It, yeah, defense is a very big unknown. So we will see. I think, you know, there's reason 
there's reasons to be optimistic. I think the defense has a lot of depth. Yes, it does. It feels like. Not a lot of star um, power. Yeah, but not a lot of star power. So then it's one of those things where it's like, okay, do we have a lot of depth because we have, you know, five starters and 15 backups? Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah, yeah. Or do we have a lot of depth because even though we don't have a lot of stars, we have 16 starting caliber players. And exactly. Can, some of that's not totally clear. Like, you know, what is Blaze mm. Campbell right now? Is, you know, what is Jeff Okuda? Yeah, what is Jeff Okuda? What is Eddie Goldman? You know, how much are we going to get out of guys like Bud Dupree? I, uh, and see, that's another one. Bud Dupree is a 3-4 outside linebacker, a classic one. So it's like, yeah, I know we're going to be multiple, but I don't know how these pieces fit. But I do know that we have a lot of like legitimate NFL players. I will yeah. say that. And it's one of those deals where I look at the defensive group and you could say, okay, if this is a well-coached unit, could be really really yeah. good because yeah, you got a enough lot talent. of flexibility yeah you can have a very different game plan week in and week out mm-hmm. and do the thing you know the very belichick patriots thing yeah. where you're like what system do we run we run the system where we try and stop the whatever they do best every week yeah and it's different week to week if that's how this team is coached this could be a very good roster if it's really well yeah. with that if and they said a... flex. They said flexibility over and over again, but it's it's so overused that you almost just tune it out. Yeah, you, yeah, you don't know when it's true, right? Yeah. I look at the roster, and the roster sort of matches with that. It does. So I'm inclined to believe that's true, but again, we've never seen this guy be a coordinator, so yeah. eh, it's hard to really know. And like you said, guys like Okuda, is he going to be really good, or is he going to be? injured again you know yeah so yeah lots of lots of unknowns and and some of the young guys too overall you and i hate grading drafts right after it's stupid um we got i would say one elite player a guy that's going to be a quality immediate starter in bergeron we would think i mean i don't see a whole lot of reason why not to and some really good depth pieces in harrison and phillips at positions of need i would say so i'd say the falcons did meet needs except for receiver that uh, and then we joke about them not throwing the ball, but you still have to have somebody to run the routes. Um, yeah, we still need a second starting receiver to block. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I don't – this draft doesn't get me overly excited, but I can't say the Falcons did a terrible job because you got some talent and you met some needs. So I don't know. I feel like the Falcons, we knew beforehand that the Falcons did most of their work in free agency. I mean, I, I really do feel like that was the case. Do you disagree with that? They definitely did, and I think that's perfectly fine given where the cap situation and the roster was and everything meet immediate needs with veterans and free agency Mm -hmm. and then draft for future longer term stuff. Yeah. And and here's, here's something to think that's something that you said before is when you do good in free agency, you're not forced to reach in the draft. Yeah. You're at, you can actually take regardless of whether or not you agree with who they took, you can go for the best player available when you don't have huge holes to fill, when you go to a draft like they had the last few years and said you have to find four starters, you're a, <laughs> you're a poorly run franchise. You are you're a poorly run yeah. franchise when you go to go to a draft and we have to find three starters because that's hard to do because even the best drafters don't hit on everybody. No one does. Well, and and they don't hit on them on that timeline because the last number of years we came in every year going, 
All right, we just need three or four starters and three or four yes. contributors in their rookie year. And it's like, we got six draft picks. How are we going to select eight contributors? This is not going to happen. And then people are impatient, like, oh, Ebiketti and Malone aren't any good. Well, what if Ebiketti and Malone combined for 12 sacks this year? You feel a lot better about those picks, but because they weren't great last year, people feel like they're a waste of picks. And it did, like you said, you have it's the timeline. You have to give things time. Yeah, so Grady Jarrett year one was like, oh, he was better than we thought. Grady Jarrett in year three is like, oh, crap. This guy was one of the best deals in that draft. And so you have to allow time to play out. Now, one of the things that you can predict is that UJ is going to have a lot of people drafted every year um, from now until the foreseeable future. Yeah. <laughs> and not only do we have a lot drafted, Scott, you said that we had a historic number of players drafted. So, yeah, it was 10 guys this year, which was tied with Alabama for the most in this draft but the 22 to 23 the two-year run is 25 guys drafted which is a two-year draft record so back-to-back drafts nobody's Mm -hmm. ever had 25 combined before which you know obviously the 15 record setting draft last year had a lot to do with that and then from 21 to 23 so the last three drafts 34 total guys which is a three-year draft record and just a heads up when they have like a dozen guys drafted next year and it's 46 guys over four years, that'll be a record too. Yeah. We, you and me and Dr. J sat down and went through this. And we're like, no less than 10 next year, probably as many as 15. Now they're not going to be high draft picks like they were in that last year. That was a freak thing. Like, yeah, be, you won't have five first round no, picks. You're, you're looking at like two or something two, like this, but rounds but. three through six, we might have 10 guys go in those rounds, like legitimately. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then on, on this year's draft, I think one of my sort of takeaways was that a lot of these guys ended up in really good positions, whether like from a team or coaching fit or just the depth chart or even like development, you know, a uh, lot of good fits. Jalen Carter, you know, he's in a position where, if there are off-field concerns, which is an if, I don't actually know if that's really yeah, true. Yeah, that he's, stuff's overblown. It, he's somewhere with, it's a good, well-run organization. There's also an immediate support system of current and former UGA teammates that goes a long way. And also guys like Nicobe Dean and Nolan Smith that are respected, were respected leaders in Athens and guys that he would probably listen to there, as well as being there with Fletcher Cox. And it's like, oh, hey, here's a defensive tackle whose game you might want to model. Who's Who a might be in the Hall of Fame. He's yeah. Yeah, like, you know, and oh, here, <clears throat> go go practice against uh, Jason Kelsey, you know, and Lane Johnson. Like that. Yeah, you know, and, and similar for Nolan Smith. It's like, okay, you're an undersized edge rush guy. A lot of times those guys are not well used or well developed. They kind of fit outside the norm. You know, Hassan Reddick is with Philly right now. And, and so is Brandon Graham. Him. Yeah. You know, well, and Hassan Reddick was your like 240 pound, gotcha. five kind of guy. I forget where he got drafted originally. It was Arizona? I think it might have been Arizona. Yeah. Didn't have a whole lot of success. Went to Philadelphia. Okay. His last year in Arizona, he had a good year. Yeah. He did. Uh, so he did. Yeah, but anyway, so the sacks, but you know, you have Carter and Nolan Smith going to a good franchise. And also a franchise that is currently using a veteran player in the kind of exact same way you would want to use them. 
I didn't realize he was 230 pounds. Good gosh. Yeah, he's exactly. Small. He's small. So, and then, you know, lots of guys like Broderick Jones and Darnell Washington went to Pittsburgh, which is just a stable organization, yeah. right? Yeah. So you have lots of, and, and Keely Ringo went to the Eagles. So there's lots of stable organizations. And then you have like Stetson Bennett, Warren McClendon, who went to the Rams, which right now is a good organization, but also a good offensive scheming head coach. They're very good at running an offense that gets the most out of its players. Stetson can be there and be the actual clear backup. They have right? one quarterback in their roster before the draft. Yeah. One. So he's making he's, that team. Yeah. So he's, he makes the team. He gets to be there. It's Stafford is old and gets injured. Like he will have a chance to spot start one or two games this year. And then in two years when Stafford retires, He'll be there and know the system, and he might even have a chance to compete for the job, right? So a lot of that kind of stuff. And could he have Um, gone to a better schematic fit? Because we all said, like, you put him in the Shanahan-McVay, that scheme where it's play-action heavy, throws across the middle of the field, which he is really good at, moving the pocket. It's like, I know everybody thrives in that system, but it is by far the best fit for him. Where like Remember, Matt's first year in that system, he sucked. And – he dropped some weight, got more mobile, and was a lot better at it. But like, it's could not be a better fit for him. Yeah. So I think probably the only two guys that I look at and go, oh, they didn't land in the best place. Maybe <laughs> is just Chris Smith because it's the Raiders, and look, it's just hard for me to totally trust what the Raiders are doing at any point in time ever in history. And Kenny McIntosh because they. I mean, where did they draft the guy last year in the first round? I can't remember. Uh, they, Michigan State guy. Yeah. Uh, uh, Kenneth Walker. Name? Kenneth Walker. Yeah, they drafted yeah, who him. Who had a monster year. Until he got hurt. Last year until he got hurt. And then they drafted running back in the second round this yeah. year. And then they drafted Kenny McIntosh. Yeah. I, so for yeah. me, I'm like, okay, well, Seattle drafts a running back every year. That, so I was about to say to- that. I was literally <laughs> about to say that. They draft a running yeah. back every year. Yeah. So they'll draft four more running backs while he's on his rookie contract. So it's hard to just feel great about that from a yeah. number standpoint. It, shoot. He may still make that team and play there 10 years, but just the sheer numbers of depth chart and how Seattle treats running back, it's hard to feel great. But in general, yeah, you know, it was a good draft, even for the guys like Darnell and Keeley that kind of fell a bit further ended up in good places. We got to talk about those two things before we sign off here, folks. Why did Darnell Washington fall? Because this is one of the deepest tight end drafts in recent memory. And tight end evaluations are so team specific because tight end skill sets can be very uh, scheme specific. And what Darnell does just isn't the flavor for everybody. It's just not. And there was a wide range of disagreements on tight ends two through four. I mean, most people felt like the tight end from uh, Utah, Dalton Kincaid, was the best tight end. And then after that, it was Musgrave, Mayer, Darnell, several other, uh, Laporta, and a group of like six or seven tight ends where it was throw them in a hat and pick which one you think is the best. And so eventually, with tight end not being a premium position, even with all those guys being good prospects, one of them was going to drop because teams just don't load up on tight ends. And it just so happened to be Darnell being the one that dropped. Now, why you was also, to- there was also, you know, rumors of some injury concerns. Oh. Some people had, I, 
look, the draft is what the draft is. It's, the it's hard season. to know. Yeah. How much of this is real. So hard to say, but to your point, when you get down to guys that are sort of unique scheme fits and all of this, you know, yeah, maybe he was going to go 45 and the team that was going to pick him 45 said, Hey, he's a really big dude. We're concerned about his ankle in three years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think there was some of that allegedly with Keely Ringo as well, like a shoulder or something. Is that why? Because that was the next thing I was going to say is Keely Ringo was y'all. He's not a first round corner. I'm sorry. He's just not, uh, no. the, the tape's not good enough. Um, I, I've known well, that and, for a while, and, but and not even just the tape. He had a combine that didn't help himself out because there's one thing between not having tape that is complete and another thing between not showing the athletic ability that you're supposed to have if you're that type of player. His movement so, skills are subpar. His right, his non-linear movement skills are subpar. He has tight right. hips, which I've always known, but he went and did really poorly in the agility drills, which isn't and, really surprising if you watched him. But what is maybe more surprising was like, oh, he also didn't jump that well. Yeah, it was he? Had, right? One of them was good. Was his his vertical band as broad was good, wasn't it? His his broad was ten two, which That's pretty good is a sixty fourth percentile. So oh, it's I thought a little, better than I thought it's a better little, than that. Well, for cornerback. We're talking yeah. cornerback. Ten, so ten feet he's just on broad jump. Go he's ahead. just a, a little bit above average on broad jump. You would like to see him if he's going to be this big, physical, linear athlete. You would like to see him broad jump like 80th percentile, yeah. 90th yeah. percentile, right? And then his vertical is 33 and a half, which yeah, is 34th percentile for a cornerback. Yeah. You need to be 36 or higher. Right. So that was, I think, some of that. You know, I was like, okay, if he's supposed to be a big physical guy that's explosive but stiff, you got to actually be explosive everywhere. Yeah. You can't be just fast, average or below average on the jumping explosion and be just fast unless you're running a 428 or something. Yeah. Which, um, but yeah, even then, I, I totally agree with you. He didn't flash some of the movement skills like the Tyson Campbell level movement mm-hmm. skills. Yeah. Even though I think he was a better cornerback at georgia than tyson campbell was i i agree with that but there's that. a reason that campbell was a little bit better draft prospect and had that a being said keely to me should have been a second round guy yes maybe yes. an early third um so riley moss went over him i mean like and i like and, riley moss but and, and we, did, he's got, we did talk a bit before yeah, yeah. i know i think online offline i don't know about this sort of the same thing as darnell which is Keely Ringo has some clear strengths and weaknesses, and it's very much a scheme fit kind of thing. And so you may be a team that is looking for a style of cornerback that is just not what Keely Ringo is. Yeah. Bro, most teams are going to see his height and say he's a press man corner. Um and but then but then they're going to say he's a press man corner that doesn't play the ball in the air. Exactly. That's exactly what I was about to say. Right. Yeah. Now, I think what he does have going for him, and this is again where it's sort of similar to Tyson Campbell is he's a really young cornerback. Mm -hmm. And by young, I also mean he wasn't really playing any cornerback in high school because he was playing playing running back and wide receiver. And yeah, he was playing some defensive back, but nobody's throwing it anywhere near his side of the field Mm -hmm. in high school. So, you know, some of these guys that are young for their 
class age-wise and were elite athletes in high school, the first competitive game he played of cornerback was 2022, <laughs> yeah. 2021. And not to dump so, on Arizona football, but playing at Saguaro High School, he ain't exactly seen the best competition. That ain't Georgia, Texas, uh, California high school football. So there's yeah. that also. Anybody that's getting drafted has room for development. His profile maybe says a little bit more than average room for development, a little more upside than how he played, which is why I'm a little surprised he went all the way down to fourth. But yeah, he landed in a good spot, so good for him. Did not see him going in the same round with Stetson Bennett. Just yep. didn't see that one happen. That was – boy, you could have made a lot of money on that one. So, and what's right. funny is he went a few picks next to Clark Phillips. It's late. We got to get out of here. Well, um, one, la- one last thing. On the UGA draft stuff, as a reminder to everybody, enjoy while it lasts. Let the good times roll. Um, Some notable coaches in their first seven seasons. And why seven, you ask? Because that's how long Kirby's been at Georgia. Uh, Steve Spurrier, first seven years at Florida, 35 guys drafted. Uh, Dabo at Clemson, 38. Mark Richt, not fired for his first seven seasons. Mm -mm. 40 guys drafted. Uh, Nick Saban at Alabama, 41. Uh, Pete Carroll at USC, 42. I think Jeez, they were pretty good Pete during Carroll. his time. Jeez. Uh, Kirby's first seven seasons, 55 guys drafted. He is lapping the field. Yes. That is unreal. That yeah. is unreal. And, 55. and like I said, 2022 set the single season record. 22-23, he set the two-year record. 21-23, to he set the three-year record. Next year, Setting the four-year record, so enjoy it while it lasts. You can't keep it up forever. No. Well, that's a good place to stop. Uh, Falcons fans, I understand your frustration. Uh, I can't say that I can make you feel better, but in Arthur we trust. Do we? Uh, Okay, I can (laughs) say this. It will be fun watching Bijan play. Well, in Arthur we trust for right now. (laughs) <laughs> but I'm not sure that our trust will be rewarded. <laughs> All right, Scott, tell the people adios. Adios. This has been Dave Bethay and Scott the Stats Ask for the Cloud Run Sports Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.